How we doing this morning, TLC? We good? We good? We good? Yes? Pretty good? Caitlin, get up here. Let's go. Come on, Caitlin. You didn't even know you're doing this this morning. Let's go. Come on up. Kate, come on. Come on. You had no clue you were coming up front today, did you? It's awesome. It's Kate. I don't know if you knew this about me, but uh, we did a spiritual gifts test last year. And uh, one of my primary spiritual gifts is um, prophecy, uh, exhortation. So today, here's what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to predict some things about you in the coming days. Okay? Cool? Uh, I'm going to predict today, after church, you're going to go eat lunch. But I think you're going to Skyline. Josh, take her to Skyline. You're going to Skyline. (laughs) I think this week, you're going to have two tests. You're going to get an A-plus on one. You're going to get an A-minus on the other one. One's going to be in English. And one is going to be in math. I'm still foggy about which one's which. The A-plus and the A-minus. And I think today you're going to get in a fight with Lauren. <laughs> you think any of that's going to come true? Yeah. yeah, that's because I have the gift of prophecy. You can go down. Have I ever heard that before? I got a prophetic word for you. And then what do we do? We tell people of their future, of what's going to come to them. Some go to fortune tellers, some go to palm readers, some just try to find a prophet or prophetess in the church to tell them what's going on. And quite honestly, we've given this whole idea of being a prophet a bad name. In fact, it's not real biblical a lot of times. So today, what I want to do with you guys is we venture into the story. We're going to talk about this idea of prophets. And it's not going to be what you think or maybe what you expect as you walked into the room this morning. But we're going to take a look at God's messengers and how they were called to the nation of Israel But to do that this morning, here's what I want to do. I don't know if you've been with us the last few weeks or not. Uh, This is our third week that we've been in 1st or 2nd Kings in the story. We're walking through the Bible in 31 weeks. We are midway, halfway point through the Bible as we go through. And so we have been in 1st Kings looking at Solomon's life the last couple weeks. And we took a look last week at how the Solomon failed and the kingdom of Israel is divided into the northern and southern tribes. But what I want to do this morning to start us off, to launch us, is I want to play a Bible Project video. Because I love Bible Project. I love their videos. It's animated. It's got uh, all the drawing stuff. If you haven't been with us before, you can go to BibleProject.com and you can watch any book of the Bible or multiple themes throughout the Bible, you can go there and you can watch a usually five to eight minute video summarizing what's going on in that book of the Bible or that theme of the Bible. And so this morning, I want to play 1 Kings and 2 Kings video for you guys to give you an update. If you haven't been with us, you can catch up in about six minutes. Plus, it's going to go where we're going today. So get your eyes up on the screen. Let's play the video. It's quick, isn't it? But hopefully, maybe if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you've caught back up of where we are at in the story. But 
Israel is divided into the northern tribes and to the southern tribes. And there is great, uh, really, sin going on in both, but especially the northern tribes. And so this morning, we're going to see that God is going to send some messengers. He's going to send what we call prophets to the northern tribes during this time. And these messengers were there to warn the people of their sin and warn them of the damage that was going to come upon their lives if they did not turn from their sin. And so they had this urgency to turn people back to God. And yes, you're going to see as you read your story this week, as you read through 1 Kings 17 and on, you're going to see some miracles happen along the way as Elijah and Elisha performed some miracles along the way. But that was not their primary function. Their primary function was be the voice of God to the northern and the southern tribes. So as we go through this, you're going to see them be the vocal point of what God wants to do. Oftentimes they would say it this way, thus says the Lord. It became a common refrain for these prophets that God is saying this, God is speaking to you on this, the Lord wants you to do this, to turn from your evil and turn back to him. The craziest part was this, they had false prophets. So people would come and they would claim that we are a prophet from God and we speak on God's behalf and yet they had a certain way of doing this. God said this in his word. He said that if a prophet was found to be false in what they spoke, may they be killed. God was not taking his voice very lightly. He wanted his voice to resound to the nation and the tribes of Israel and Judah. He wanted to make sure that they knew that God was speaking to them. Oftentimes what they said was not very well liked. Let me put it this way. They're sort of like a preacher who spoke to you and you walked out of service mad. Anybody ever had that before in a church? Like the preacher said something to you and he spoke something to you and you walked out of here angry. How dare he call me out on that? How dare he speak me about me on that? He's supposed to make me warm and fuzzy when I walk out of here. I'm supposed to be like leaping through the aisles, toe-tapping as I walk out. That was a great service, Pastor. I didn't, I, but I don't like when you get harsh with me. You would have hated the prophets. In fact, we see that some of the kings hated the prophets. We see in 1 Kings 22, King Jehoshaphat out of the south. What a name, Jehoshaphat. Don't name your kid that, right? King Jehoshaphat out of the south. King Ahaz out of the north. They come together and they're going to actually do battle against another enemy and they're going to actually unite together for this battle. And Jehoshaphat says, I have a prophet who will speak whether we should go or not. King Ahaz goes, I know that prophet and I don't like him. And Jehoshaphat says, yeah, but he speaks the words of the Lord. Let's ask him whether we should go into battle or not. The prophet comes and says, surely you will be destroyed. And King Ahaz said, I'm telling you, every time he comes to me, I get a bad word from God. I don't want this guy. And so as we go through this this morning, there are going to be times where you sit in your seat and you go, I don't like that. But I would propose this. You don't get the gospel of Jesus Christ until you get the bad news. When you get the bad news, you get the good news because the good news is really good news. But it's like anything else, unless you know the bad news, you can't fully understand the good news. 
For some of you, here's the reality this morning. The gospel just means a little bit to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ means a little bit to you. But when you see the depravity of your own heart, you see the length that you've gone to rebel against God, the good news of what Jesus did for you intensifies. And your heart becomes gladder and gladder and gladder even when you get a hard word from God because you know that God is for you, not against you. So here's what he's going to do. God's going to raise up nine prophets to speak warnings against the northern tribes. How many of those were successful? Anybody know? How many of those prophets helped turn people back to the Lord? Anybody know? Out of the nine? Zero. Zilch. The only one that had success did not speak to the northern tribes. Guess who he spoke to? Nineveh. Anybody know his name? It's in your Bible. Jonah, we did two years ago, we did a whole series on Jonah. He was the only successful prophet to have people repent and turn back to the Lord. And he did not go to Israel. He went to a place called Nineveh. And he had the worst sermon on the face of the planet. Five words in the Hebrew. Didn't even mention God. But God did something. He turned the city of Nineveh upside down and their hearts repented and turned toward the Lord. That was the only successful prophet. So God is going to speak. He's going to send these messengers. And here's the deal this morning. Will you and I listen to what God has to say? Some of you are going to fight God this morning. Because God is going to speak. And when God speaks, sometimes the reality is we don't like it. But God is good and gracious and merciful, and he's trying to turn your heart back to him. And so here's what we're going to do. You can go with your Bibles. I'm skipping Elijah. I'm skipping Elisha. I looked at what I did seven years ago for this story, and I threw it all out. And this week, God turned my heart to Hosea. You can go in the front of your Bible. No shame in this. Go to the front. Go to the table of contents. Look up Hosea. It's called a minor prophet. There are 12 minor prophets in your Bible. They're not inconsequential. There are four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Let's just throw this out. The major prophets tend to be longer. That's why they're called major. That's why we lump them as major prophets. There are 12 minor prophets because they are shorter. Hosea is actually one of the longer of the minor prophets. Here's why God sort of steered my heart. I'm just going to throw it out. Here's what happened. You can say it's quinky dink. I think it's God. So for me, in my devotional time, my quiet time in the morning, uh, last year I did a, a book and just went through um, Paul Tripp's book on the gospel for a year, and the Lord, back in November, started stirring my heart back to get back into God's word, reading it daily. I like devotionals. Devotionals are nice. They give you a thought for the day. They might give you one verse for the day. But something in my heart was saying, God, Chris, I want you to get back in my word. And so I use Explore. It's, uh, it's from actually England, uh, and so it's the Good Book Company is what they're called, and I use their devotional right now, and they go through this. Here's what they do. They give you, you go through an Old Testament book for a few weeks, and then you go to a New Testament book for a few weeks, and then you go back to an Old Testament book for a few weeks, and then you go to a New Testament book, and you go verse by verse. Guess what? January 1st, guess what they started? The book of Hosea. And as I've been reading through the book of Hosea over the last three weeks, my heart has been just churning. 
It is one of the most fascinating, unbelievable, great books of the Bible you'll ever read. And I'm just going to give you forewarning as we go there. It is PG-13 in the room this morning. What we're about to discuss, if you've got a kid under middle school, you can take them back in the back room. They probably don't want to hear some of the words I'm going to use. Actually, I don't use them. The Bible uses them. If you're in middle school, you've probably heard these terms. Girls, you've probably heard somebody call somebody else this term along the way. Just the reality of middle school and high school kids. But we're going Hosea chapter 1, and I'm going to show you guys, I just want to really, I, my heart was this, show you guys four things that prophets did. Four things of, uh, of being a prophetic person of what was going on in the Old Testament. That's where we're going. Hosea chapter 1, we're going to walk through this together, but let's pray, and then I want to cover a couple more things, and then we're diving into Hosea 1. So Father, we come, and we thank you for who you are. Now we ask that you would speak, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds and our souls to you. Father, I know that as we go through the prophets, this is not going to be popular. It was not popular amongst the Israelites. It was not popular amongst the, uh, the tribe of Judah when they came. And yet, Father, you were trying to draw them back to yourself because you are life. Jesus, you are life. Help us to believe that. Give us faith to believe that this morning. Jesus, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever seen a chronological Bible before. Anybody? Chronological Bible? A few of you have. Some of you are going to be new to this. I ordered this a few years ago. Uh, it's a one-year chronological Bible. Uh, here's what it does. How many of you know that the major minor prophets are in the wrong place in your Bible? Yes, some of you know that. Yes, some of you know that. So as you open up to Hosea, you're thinking, oh man, Hosea is way back toward the back. Hosea was actually earlier. It's how we helped each other. It's how we were helped along the way. But some cases, I think it's a hindrance because you don't know where it's found. This Bible right here, as you go through it, here's what it does. It puts the prophets in the right space in the story. So here's the real deal. The prophets came during certain time periods, during certain king's reigns. And what they do in this Bible, you can go pick I, This was like 20 bucks on Amazon. I picked it up. You can find it, this NIV, one year, and the nice thing, if you want to go through the Bible in one year, this will help you do it. It gives you every day from January 1st to December 31st, it gives you every day along the way, and it has you read certain passages along the way. You can do that, that's up to you, I'll leave that to your discretion, but it is helpful for this. It shows you where the prophets are located inside of the major story. And so as we go into Hosea, I want you to know that Hosea has a certain time period that he is speaking. And he is speaking to the northern tribes during their time of idolatry, which actually would make Hugh Hefner blush at some of the things they were doing. You think we've invented new ways of sexuality and ways of doing things? You have no clue what they were doing back then. The human mind is crazy. The human heart is even crazier how depraved we really are. How we make up stuff that is absolutely disgusting and filthy. And yet the Israelites were doing that. And so as we go through this, I want you to understand where these things are. I'm going to show you a diagram. You can find this. I found this online. I googled it. Here it is. I know it's a little bit blurry. I tried to squeeze it onto the slide. But it has all the prophets. It tells you what they, who they prophesied to, whether it was the northern or southern tribe. Israel, Judah. It tells you who the kings were while they were prophesying. 
It gives you the approximate date of when they prophesied. And then it even gives you their birthplace of where they were born. You can get on Google. You have a phone. You can do it while I'm speaking. You won't offend me. I always say this. I'd rather you study this than fall asleep. So go for it. You won't offend me. I'd rather you be in the Bible, in doing something like that, learning about this. It's cool. But this is a diagram of what's going on. I want you to understand this stuff because as you read your Bible, I want you to engage with your Bible. And I want you to start thinking about maybe what was going on during that time period of why these prophets would speak what they spoke and did what they did. Make sense? Yes? Good? Let's go. Hosea chapter 1, speaking of the northern tribes. Hugh Hefner's blushing. Craziness is happening. Idolatry is all over the place. People are setting up golden calves and other objects to worship. And God is going to send a prophet, Hosea, to speak to the northern tribes. And so here we go. PG-13 warning. Let's do this. Hosea 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Bari, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Not so bad to begin with, right? Don't you love the Bible, though? It's going to explain to you what? When Hosea came, who was on the throne? History. It's there. It's being proven with archaeology. Verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman. Some of your Bibles will say a whore. Some will say a prostitute. Mine tried to make it a little bit lighter for all of you to make sure it's PG, promiscuous woman. And have children with her. What? This is in the Bible? Like, God, do you know what you're asking? Hosea, a prophet of God, a man of God, go grab for yourself a prostitute and marry her. And then have kids with her. And here's why. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And in this moment, what God is trying to do is he's trying to use Hosea's life and his marriage to represent what's happened to Israel and their God. Four things that we need to walk through. First is this. There's an indictment on Israel. The indictment that is going on. God says marry a prostitute. Have kids because I'm going to represent Israel being unfaithful to their God. It is an illustration between God and Israel. Israel has been breaking the covenant that they made with the Lord their God. Israel has been cheating on God. They've been in bed with another person on God. 
and they have set up idols in their lives. They have worshipped things that are false, things that are not the Lord of the God. They have broken the Ten Commandments. They have broken the very beginning of it. You shall have no other gods before me. You have broken the covenant. It's gone. And God says to Hosea, I want to show Israel that they are in a promiscuous situation. This week, as I studied this passage, and I've been, you know, I told you, going through Hosea, Monday night was not a good night for me. I dreamt that my wife had an affair on me. I don't know who the dude was, but I could see the dude. And I woke up, and I was what? Angry. I was mad. I want to go find the dude, but then I want to yell at my wife. I was hurt. If you've ever been through an affair, and I know some of you have in this room, it is one of the most painful human situations you can have. We were made for covenant. We were made to be with one person. We were made to be in marriage. That's how we were made, to be in marriage. To be faithful to each other. That's why we make the vows and we take them seriously. Because we know this. If you've been through an affair, you know your heart was devastated. You were angry. You were ready to go grab a can of whoop, you know what, and go find the person and take them out. You were burning on the inside. And God says, this is how I feel about you, Israel. Except ten times the level of hurt. You have cheated on me. You have broken the covenant. And I am hurt. And I am angry. And God says, I'm ready to deal with some wrath. Don't mistake this. God feels there was a time period in history where theologians said God does not feel. Bull hockey, have you read your Bible? God feels. And we are made in his image, so guess what? We feel as well. And we feel the hurt and the pain of the affair. With that, I just felt like we needed to just get it out in the open. Let's do this. Our God is wrathful. I know that's going to hurt some people's feelings. I know we live in a time and culture where young people don't think God is wrath and God is being mean. God is wrathful. Can I tell you where it comes from? God's wrath comes from his love. Parents in the house, let's go. Parents in the house, how many of you love your kids? How many of you, when they have disobeyed you, you felt anger come up inside of you? Why? Because you love them? See, here's the real th deal about it. If I didn't care about my kids or somebody else, I wouldn't care what you did. Do it. I don't care. But when you love your kids or you love your wife or you love your husband, when you love and they don't follow through, guess what builds up inside of you? A natural anger builds up inside of you. Where do you think that comes from? 
It comes from the heart of God. Because when we don't obey God, guess what happens? There's an anger that builds up that they're not falling the way I've designed them, the way that I desired them to go. God has wrath toward injustice. Our world is full of injustice. Anybody see it? And here's the deal with Hosea 1. God takes our sin very seriously. You may not take your sin seriously. You may think, whatever. God takes sin very, very, very seriously. Our lack of gratitude, that was this morning in Hosea for me. Are you a thankful person? Or are you a complainer? God takes your complaining seriously. In fact, if you look at the Israelites in the desert, God took it very seriously. Your rebellious spirit that just keeps rebelling against God, God, I'm going to give you the middle finger because I know better than you. God takes that very seriously. God takes your putting down of people and all of your gossip online, social media. Some days I just want to get rid of it. Please don't use it to gossip about people and to put people down. God takes that very seriously. He takes our lustful eyes that we saw even in Solomon, very, in David, very seriously. He takes our defining of our own sexuality, which is something happening in our culture all over the place. He takes it very seriously. He takes your greedy attitude that you want more and more and more and more and more very seriously. And this one arose in my life this week as I've been reading Henry Nowen, a priest. He talked about anger inside of us, and I realized I have some anger inside of me that I didn't even know I had. And God, this, this week, just began to pour my heart. Chris, I take your anger inside of you very, very seriously. And I said, Lord, how seriously? And he said, I put my son on a tree for you. That's how serious I take sin. So I ask you this morning, do you take your sin seriously? Guys, we live in a flippant culture where we just do our own deal and we just move on with life. But God takes our sin very, very seriously. And when you don't take your sin seriously, here's what happens. Sin will dominate your life and it will create distance between you and your creator. I've told you guys this often, that I have people all the time come to me and I say, I feel so dry, I feel so barren, I feel so far from God. And one of my first questions is this, have you been alone with God and asked him to search your heart, to know your thoughts, to try you? Have you done that yet? And I usually get, nope. I just had the discussion with somebody the other day about this. Some of you are being disobedient in some areas of your life, and yet you go, why is God not speaking to me more? And here's my, here's my answer to you. Why would God give you more when you won't do the one command he's asked you to do? He's asked you to do one thing, whether it's, for, I, I get this a lot with forgiveness. You have not forgiven people, and yet you want God to speak to you. Why would he speak to you when you haven't gone to forgive somebody? He gave you the word. 
You just haven't been obedient to it yet. And you wonder why there's this distance that you feel. God is still there, don't get me wrong. It's just you haven't followed through on what he's given you. Hebrews 3, let's put it up. Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I put this up two weeks ago. I just felt the Lord saying, do it again. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are to take sin seriously. The second thing is judgment. We're going to see judgment come. So here's what happens. It'll be up on the screen. I won't read all of it. Let me just give you the overview of what happens. Hosea sleeps with his wife, Gomer. Awesome name. Awesome name. Gomer gets pregnant. She has a son. And God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to name him Jezreel. Why Jezreel? Because Jezreel back earlier for Israel was a place of victory, but now will be a place of ruin. How many of you know names matter? Come on, names matter? So when God gives a name, it matters, and he says, name the first child Jezreel because it will be a place of ruin. Here's what's going to happen, Israel. What you're doing right now is going to create destruction because sin always leads to death. You can try to escape it, you can try to get out of it, but sin always leads to death. And so name the place Jezreel. Gomer gets pregnant again. This time, just throw it out, you can read it. The first time it says she got pregnant by Hosea, the second time it makes no mention of Hosea. Uh-oh. She's a what again? Prostitute. The Bible makes it sound like she's starting to run around town on Hosea again. She has another child. But Hosea is to take that child in and make it his own. And it's a girl this time. And so God says, I want you to name her Lo-Ami, which in Hebrew means what? You're not my people anymore. There's judgment coming, Israel, because you will not be my people anymore. You once were my people, but you will not be my people anymore. Gomer gets pregnant again. Third child, it's another son. And so God comes. Or the first, second one was not loved, I'm sorry, not loved. Lot Rumah. The third one is this, lo ami, not my people. And so he says, you're not loved, and you're not my people, and you will be a people of what? Of ruin. Destruction's coming. Welcome to what's about to happen, Israel, because of your sin. And because you have not dealt with it well. Because you have not repented and turned from it, you have just sat in it and you've increased it. Judgment is coming. Judgment's on the way. And the prophets are going to show God's indictment being God's judgment. And I know today, guys, this is not popular. I know that we talk about judgment and everybody in the room gets real tight, real like insecure. And you're thinking, man, I don't want to talk about judgment. This is supposed to be a happy, warm, friendly place, a friendly message where we don't talk about judgment. But guys, we have to talk about judgment because the Bible talks about judgment. We said it last week. I, I had a conversation with Carson last Sunday afternoon coming back from baseball practice. 
our baseball meeting and we were driving back and I said, son, I don't think last week's message is going to be real popular amongst people. He's like, why is that, Dad? And I said, well, son, I said, whenever I talk about not marrying an unbeliever, if you're a believer in Jesus, don't marry an unbeliever, people get real squirmish in the room. And I said, when I tell people to quit living together before marriage, it gets real uncomfortable in the room. People don't like it. And my son, 12 years old, God bless his heart, he looks over at me, he says, Dad, but the truth is truth. Guys, we've got to deal with the truth. There's judgment coming. The Bible talks about this judgment that's coming. Judgment's coming toward Israel. It's coming toward us as well. Hebrews 9, verse 27 through 28. Let's just discuss it. Just as people are destined to die once, death rate in the room is what? 100%. And after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, to take it on, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Judgment's coming. Acts 17, 29 through 31, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by how? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was just not an event. It was something that was going to be far greater than an event. It was going to be the very basis of judgment coming. Guys, judgment is coming. Whether you like it or not, one day you will stand before your creator and you will give an account for your life. And Israel will give an account. Judgment's coming. In the first two chapters, Hosea, as you read this this week, maybe you'll read this week, you're going to see judgment coming, but then you're also going to see the gospel. Ready? Here we go. Let's go with the good news. God is going to woo Israel back. God is going to woo. He's going to bring Israel back into himself. God's love is so great for us that he will give us our indictment. He will warn us of our judgment, but then he does not leave us alone. He brings us back. He comes after us. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Flip over. Hosea 2, verse 14. Let's do this. He has judgment in verses 1 through 13, but then he says this, there's your therefore, Josh, fight. Therefore, I am now going to allure her, Israel, and I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Let's just say this. He's going to allure her. He's going to woo her. He's going to come to her and bring her back in to himself. He is going to allure her. But anybody knows how he's going to allure her? Anybody see where he's going? Because it's a head scratcher when you read it. Ready? Here we go. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness. Hold on. No flowers, no bouquets, no special dinner. What are you talking about, God? Because when you're going to allure a girl, well, guys, what are we doing? We're taking her to the finest restaurant. We got her flowers. We're giving her a little card. We're giving her some chocolates. We're going to bring her in. We're going to bring her back into the fold. We are going to go Valentine's Day on her rear end all day long and bring her back in. 
God says, I'm going to allure her, but I'm going to bring her where? The wilderness. Well, that sounds romantic, God. You're going to bring her into the wilderness and think she's going to come back to you? Let me explain the wilderness. The wilderness was a place of barrenness. A place that everything is stripped down, everything is gone. But for the Israelites, it brought them back coming out of Egypt. Because where did they go after Egypt? Into the wilderness. And for Israel, this represents, the wilderness represents a place where God meets with the people and restores them and strips them of all their idol worship and everything else going on, and he's going to restore her ultimately. But he's going to go through the wilderness. We don't like wilderness. We like abundance. We live in America. We don't like when things are stripped away from us. We like when God keeps adding. Anybody notice the language in the church? When things are going well, we say what? God is just blessing me. He's blessing me. He's blessing me. When things are good, we all say, God is blessing me. Be careful. Sometimes the blessing is actually a curse. Because your heart is being led away from God, which is the worst thing ever. Sometimes you got to go through the wilderness to actually experience the blessing. So God is going to lead them into the wilderness and he's going to woo Israel back to himself. He is going to strip them out down of all self-dependence and arrogance that is going on inside of them. He's going to develop the relationship again. Scott Schneider, our counselor, and I were talking here a few weeks ago about this whole story, and we were talking about the desert time. And he said to me this. He said, Chris, we oftentimes look at the desert as a place of punishment. When the Israelites had to wander 40 years in the desert, we, look, we say what? They were punished for that. And he said, but think about this. God brought them into the desert for 40 years, but guess what he did there? He developed relationship. He reestablished covenant with them. He goes, it was actually an act of mercy those 40 years in the desert. Because what we all ultimately need is God's presence. Some of you are going to fight the wilderness. Some of you right now are fighting it today. And God is trying to do something with you and look at what he does. Ready? Anybody notice this? I will lead her into the wilderness and I will what? Speak tenderly to her. How many know that God loves to speak? And as you study Elijah this week, as you study his story, he has this unbelievable mountaintop experience, and right after that, guess what happens? He goes into deep depression. And now he's saying, God, just take my life. God does what with him? He gives him food and water to begin with, because God loves to take care of your physical needs as well. But then he draws Elijah out, and he meets with him in the cleft of a rock. And guess how he speaks to him? In a still, small voice. Tenderly. Some of you want God to shout at you today. Some of us are thick-headed like that. We need God to shout. But God loves to speak tenderly to you. And he will draw you out away from your comfort, away from your own pleasure, away from your own self-dependence, 
and he will take you into a land that is barren and it seems like a desert and a wilderness, but God is up to something. He's going to speak to you tenderly in that place. Some of you are going to fight it today. We do this in America. We fight the wilderness for some reason. And if I'm being honest with you, early in my ministry, I used to hate when people were going through wilderness experiences. But I'm coming to learn this, and slowly but surely, that the wilderness is not all bad. That some of us need to go through the wilderness because we are full of ourselves and we're arrogant and we're prideful. And God is going to strip us of those things so that he can do his work inside of us. Some of you right now are trying to get out of the wilderness. Can I beg you and plead you to stay in the wilderness till God does something inside of your heart? Because God wants to do something inside of you more than you'll ever know. And he will speak to you there, tenderly to you there, as you go. The fourth and final thing is this. As we see the prophets, we'll see that they indict Israel. They declare God's judgment on them, but then they're going to try to have woo them back. But verse 15, chapter 2, here it goes. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. God is going to restore. Notice he says, I'm going to give her vineyards back. Vineyards were what for these people? What was vineyards for these people? It was wealth and it was life. And God is saying this, I love you enough that I want to restore you. I want to bring back your vineyards, Israel. I want to bring back those things that are good for you. And so he says that. And it got me thinking, guys, John 15. Jesus said this way, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But guys, God wants to do a work inside of you and through you. But it only happens when you're attached to the vine. And he wants to restore some of you back to the vine. He wants to bring you back to himself. He wants to bring you back into right relationship with him. And God wants to do that. And he wants to do that with Israel. He wants vineyards to grow. And then he says this, and this is really interesting here. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And some of you are going, what is the valley of Achor? Great question. Joshua chapter 7. Go there with me. We'll finish up here. Joshua chapter 7. Let me sum it up. And then I'll read these three verses. If you got your Bible, you got your app, whatever, you can go to... Joshua chapter 7. Israel has won a war at this time. They have defeated the enemy. And the enemy had a lot of plunder. They had a lot of gold, a lot of of jewels. They had a lot of that stuff. And so here's what happens. They defeat them, but God says, don't take any of it. Don't take it. But there's one guy in camp. His name is Achan. He was aching to get some jewels. Bad joke. All right. So he was dying to get some jewels. And so he goes in, he grabs the gold, and he grabs the silver, he grabs the jewels, and he hides them away in his tent. And God comes to the nation of Israel, comes to the leaders and says, hey, guys, we got a problem here. Someone has taken the gold and the goods, the plunder. No one's taken it, God. No, there's somebody in camp who's taken it. His name is Achan. And they find out what's going on in here. Let's read this. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. You know what Achor means in Hebrew? 
The valley of trouble. Uh-oh, we in trouble. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today, Achan. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Sound harsh? Come on. Sound harsh? Anybody get mad when you read this? Yes? Please, somebody say yes. I read this, and I'm like, seriously? Some guy stole someone, you're going to stone him to death? God takes sin seriously. And it affected the whole what? The whole nation of Israel. And God takes it seriously. Now here's what we see in the Old Testament New Testament. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. James. That this is a random story, but most of the time what? We see God's mercy going above his judgment, but at times judgment comes. And the valley of Achor, it says in Hosea 2, trouble will become what? A door of hope. And I sit there and I read that and I go, hmm, how does the valley of Achor, trouble, become a door of hope? Hmm, wait. Guys, when we read the Bible, everything points to whom? Come on, Sunday school answer, Jesus. The gospel is being preached right here. The gospel is being proclaimed. That the valley of trouble, your sin, my sin, will be covered and it will become a door of hope. It should get you mind going into the place of what is the gospel message in the middle of this? Great question. 2 Corinthians 5.21, awesome verse. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You and I are aching. But here's what God does. Here's how this becomes a value or door of hope. That God would take your sin and my sin, and he would put it upon himself. At the cross of Jesus Christ, he took your sin and he took my sin upon his shoulders. God became the substitute. He got stoned to death. And the wrath of God came where? Upon Jesus Christ. And in place he did what? Not only did he take your sin and my sin, the valet, he made it a door of hope because he gave us what? What's the verse say? He gave us what? His righteousness. The one thing that would allow you to stand before God the Father, he gave to you. The, it was called righteousness. You are right to stand before God now. And so as you read Hosea 2, 15, the valley of Achor, the place of sin and death, became a door of hope. How? Because of Jesus Christ. You and I stand today before God a holy God, only why? Because of Jesus. That's good news. 
It's nothing that you do. You can't go out today and be the best citizen on the face of the planet. You can't earn your way to God. God says you can't do it. Therefore, I'm sending a substitute. I'm sending Jesus Christ into the valley of trouble to be a door of hope for you. And look at the end of Hosea 13. I love this. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues or your sting? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Does that sound familiar? 1 Corinthians 15 recites this very same verse, and it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where's your hope, people, today? Do you have hope? Because what God is going to say through the prophet Hosea, hope is found in the valley of Achor because Jesus went to the valley of Achor and became your substitute and took on your death the place you and I should have been. And in return, he gave you his righteousness so you today can stand before the living God. You can stand in full confidence that he loves you, accepts you, holds you dear to himself. He is crazy about you. Why? Because of Jesus Today, some of you are doubting the love of God. God loves you not because of everything that you've done. He loves you because of his son, Jesus, and he sees Jesus inside of you. He loves you, and he accepts you, and he's crazy about you. If you've never had that hope before, today God is asking you, would you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ over your own works and righteousness? Because your works and righteousness are like filthy rags to him, is what scripture says. Guys, this is good news. And so as you read through the prophets, here's my hope this week, that you will see the indictment on your own life, that you are sinful. You'll see the judgment of God on your life, but then you'll see that God is wooing you back. He is drawing you to himself, and he is what? He wants to restore your life. But it's found in Jesus Christ. So band, let's come up. We're going to sing this. We got a living hope this morning. Because the valley of Achor becomes a door of hope because of what Jesus has done for us. That's why the valley of Achor becomes a door of hope. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for all that you are to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the valley of Achor can become a door of hope for us. The place that was full of trouble now becomes a place of hope because of what Jesus has done for us. It is not my works, it's not my righteousness, it's not me trying to be good, because even that, Lord, I've learned this week again. I've been reminded that it's even tainted by my motives. I do things out of selfishness that look good to other people, but is full of selfishness in my own heart. But Jesus, you were the perfect one, you were the holy one, and you died in my place. And in place of that, you gave me righteousness to stand before God, the Father, and I thank you for that. Father, may in the next few moments, may we find hope in Jesus. Not hope in our own selves, not hope in all the things that we think we can do, but hope is found in Christ. So Jesus, we need you. We ask that you speak into us. Show us and then show us our sin. Show us the judgment that you put in our lives, but then show us how you wooed us and you are restoring us back to the way things were supposed to be, even back in the garden. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.